And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I am Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, Dr. John Vance. Hello. And on the phone with us, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. Good to be with you. Well, gentlemen, it's great to have you here again in the studio. You know, um, last week we covered um, basically the second um, installment of a discussion on the sacraments, and we still didn't get through it all, and so we thought uh, this week we'd go at it again. And um, um, maybe as we start, um, as a quick review, um, Kevin, could you remind us again, what is a sacrament? Well, a sacrament is a, a visible sign and seal of God's covenant of grace with us, instituted by Christ. It does a number of things. It, it marks us off from the world. Uh, it, you know, it solemnly engages us to, to be Christ. And it um, signifies and seals the benefits, Christ and his benefits to us. And uh, we receive those benefits by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I recall last week we um, had a quick comment from John here about um, the case in some foreign lands, uh, Muslim lands, where a Muslim becomes a Christian, receives God's sign and seal of his covenant of grace, namely baptism, and that is considered a capital crime. It Uniquely, uh, baptism does, identifies one as a Christian. It's not so much walking an aisle or mm-hmm. wearing a cross or even walking into a church, baptism serves a function historically of marking us off and identifying us with the body of Christ or the Mm -hmm. visible church of Christ. It's a visible sign, and it visibly identifies you with Christ and his church. Therefore, that's the reason I think that instinctively, maybe not knowing exactly why, but instinctively, uh, baptism is taken seriously sometimes by those outside the faith much more than those inside. <laughs> I guess that's what strikes me. You know, I just sit here kind of shaking my head thinking, why don't we American Christians take this more seriously while those who don't even know Christ seem to gutturally understand it, it, how it, serious yeah, it is? If I, can, if I can just hog the conversation here a minute, I, I think I know why. People are afraid that you think you're going to go to heaven by a human right, so to speak, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and that you're not going to truly be saved in your heart, and then therefore they depreciate this sign, which you find no justification for in the Scripture. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a misunderstanding, I think, of the church, of the faith, and of why God instituted in Christ mm-hmm. uh, these holy signs. You know, last week we talked a lot about the Lord's Supper, and we really didn't talk too much about baptism. Um, Kevin, would you care to share what what is baptism, and and where does it come from? In in two well, minutes or less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what it is is a, is a sacrament. Again, given the previous definition of sacraments that we've covered earlier today and on previous shows, it's a sacrament that Jesus Himself instituted. Right? We know that from Matthew twenty eight. You know, go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it admits the party baptized into the visible church. For example, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, right? 
uh, Galatians 3, for as many as of you have has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, etc. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And so it places you in the visible church. It's a sign and seal of, of the covenant and of your being engrafted, united into Jesus Christ. It's a sign of you being reborn, of your sins being remitted, and of your life being given up to service in Jesus Christ. And it's to mm-hmm. be because it's the sacrament of our once-for-all union with Christ, our union with him in his death and his resurrection, um, it is only to be administered one time. One time, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll wax on, on that one time here a second, but a thought came to me while Kevin was talking. Uh, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, it comes out of the history of the communal meal, in particular the Passover. Mm-hmm. And there is a whole... Uh, background in the Old Testament concerning uh, the Lord's Supper and and practices within Judaism of communal meals, a rabbi with his disciple, the Passover, the Kaddush, a holy supper that they had. But baptism comes out of the ritual of washing, and um, and 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 in Judaism there were a number of washing rituals. But it's interesting that one of these is taken up. And made a holy sign by Christ, hmm. and He identifies it in such a way that we are to not only take it seriously, but it identifies us with Christ. Mm-hmm. I um, I think that we 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 can make much out of what it means as a washing matter, as a symbol of regeneration, as a symbol of whole things, and the action of washing, baptizing, and so forth become very important as the actions in the Lord's Supper of pouring the wine and breaking the bread. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and this this symbol, this, this sacrament of baptism, um, that, um, in terms of the sequence of time, may not occur at the same time as the, the subject um, being born again of the Spirit of God, right? It, it may be before or after. Not necessarily tied to. Well, that's what uh, I'm trying as to say. Says, this is a complex subject. You yeah. swerved into something here. Did quite. I? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe that's another. <laughs> I'll let Kevin. That's take another that. plain answer. Maybe. I'll let Kevin take that part. Hey, Kevin. Maybe a couple of comments on that, and then we'll take a short break. Well, that same. Um, I don't know if your listeners would remember, but on last week's show, I mentioned the Puritan statement of theology in the Westminster Confession of Faith, and in that same confession, they make the point you just made, Dan, uh, with the efficacy, meaning the, 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 the working, the power, mm-hmm. the efficiency of baptism is not tied uh, to that moment of time when it is administered. Mm. Uh, it, it's given freely uh, by the Holy Spirit. So we, we do not hold that a person is undoubtedly regenerated or cleansed or washed or born again simply because they're baptized. But nonetheless, the grace that's exhibited in baptism is given to them in due time mm-hmm. uh, by, by the Spirit to his people. Yeah. It's really a gracious promise in one sense. There are two, two aspects of baptism. That is an inward and an outward uh, aspect to it. The inward is truly the work of the Spirit and regeneration. Yeah. The outward is the application of water as a sign. Mm. Uh, and they may be separated by time. I know in, in the tradition that I grew up in, uh, they would only baptize people who could make a full profession of faith mm-hmm. as an adult. And in that case, uh, the, the, the outward sign followed what they perceived to be 
the work of an inward grace mm-hmm. called believer's baptism. On the other hand, in the tradition that I now serve in, and uh, that is we as uh, as believers can claim this for our children, the outward sign in the way of claiming a promise before it may actually happen. Mm-hmm. But indeed, we should not even try, I think, to overly figure this out. It could occur before at the same time yeah. or after. This is God's sovereign grace. It's, it's His timing. Hey, we got to take a short break here. You're listening to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Gracious Savior, gentle shepherd, our little ones are dear to Thee. Gathered with Thine arms and We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, Dr. John Vance, and on the phone, the Reverend Kevin Sherritt. Well, gentlemen, I never did uh, share my own baptism. Let me just give you a brief story. I um, I was brought up in a church, and um, I was never baptized. And I, I, you know, Christ became real to me right around the age of 16. Um, we then... Um, went to another church, and uh, the Lord was convicting me that I needed to be baptized, and I didn't really know too much about it. And uh, so uh, I was I was baptized, and it was a it was a wonderful blessing. Um, I you know the spirit of the Lord was there, and I just it was just to me it was just a wonderful blessing of um, also knowing the Lord um, that I was I was following Him in obedience to His word. And and uh, just to get us started, um, fellas, uh, what did you guys go through at your baptism, whether at a very young age or later in life? I was baptized uh, 
by immersion in a stream flowing water. Cold water all Cold water in September the 29th. I remember, remember, the, the, date. Uh, remember yeah. the date, September the 29th. Uh, it was on a Sunday. Hmm. And uh, it was the water was very cold in a flowing stream. Uh, and uh, I'm, I was baptized by a wonderful uh, pastor. Hmm. And uh, I will never forget it. Yeah. Kevin. I was I was baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church, and then um, later, when I uh, converted to Christ, I was baptized then in a in a in a Baptist uh, you know baptistry, mm-hmm. um, a pool, a small pool inside a church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay. where, I, where I went to college, but. Um, now, of course, being a Reformed and Presbyterian minister, um, I understand that first baptism that I received at the hands of the Roman Catholic priest to be my valid baptism, and mm-hmm. the majority report of the Reformed tradition has always been um, the acceptance of uh, Roman Catholic baptism uh, done in the Trinitarian name. Well, that's you interesting. Know, important to make a distinction here between what we would call a baptism that may be irregular in certain ways, but still valid. And um, it is on that basis that uh, in my tradition we receive Baptist baptism as well as Roman Catholic baptism Mm -hmm. because we recognize that baptism has a quality and, and a theology behind it that it should not, if you in any way believe that's baptism, it should not be repeated. It's a non-repeatable sacrament. Mm -hmm. It represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. And that can only happen in one sense, one time. It represents non-repeatable, if you will, receiving Christ and the Holy Spirit, non-repeatable events. And as we mentioned some time ago, that they're, they're often uh, separated in time, the sign and, and the reality of, yes. of one's salvation. Mm-hmm. Kevin, uh, I'm sure you'll testify to that. It, apparently, um, um, it was later, what, maybe when you were a teen or whatever in Philadelphia that you really came or, to know the Lord. Probably about 20 or 21 years old. Yeah. All right, yeah. Better yeah, well, teaching, though, Kevin, wouldn't you say, has brought you around to the place where you, you, you do take seriously the one baptism uh, passage yeah. in Ephesians. I know I know that's mm-hmm. your case. Right, right. It's very true that um, there's a sense uh, when I was young, I felt that, you know, for it to be authentic and for it to be my act, I had to be rebaptized. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I look at my original baptism as an infant, as God's grace and kindness and promise preceding me and anticipating my later conversion, much the way that the sign of the covenant, circumcision in the Old Testament, was placed on Abraham's offspring as infants, and then they would grow up later to embrace the reality Mm -hmm. of that circumcision and have a circumcised heart. Now, um, we're talking about baptism today here on uh, this this section. We're talking about generally the sacraments. Um, this may be an obvious uh, question and answer, but uh, we, we need to cover it quickly, and that is, is baptism necessary for salvation? Wonderful question. I don't know who wrote that down or whatever, but that sounds like a great question. <laughs> That's a behind the scenes here. Yeah, you, you wrote this question before we started. <laughs> uh, 
baptism is an interesting thing. The New Testament treats it quite seriously. Yeah. And uh, there's no question that there are passages in the New Testament that if you take in on their face value, baptism is a very serious yeah. matter. Uh, let me let me put it in the negative. I can't imagine anyone rejecting or refusing baptism who's come to the place where they know Christ and they've been taught properly. Right. Uh, for uh, it truly is our identity with Christ that is at stake in the outward right. So why would one ever refuse? Mm. In other words, I think, let me parse your words a little bit now. If, if, um, if a person were to have a belligerent attitude and say, no way I'm getting baptized and kind of a you know rebellious type attitude like that, that wouldn't be very Christian. And it's, it, the same attitude toward the church would be yeah. uh, something that I would criticize as well. Yeah. If you reject the body, do you have the head? I don't if think so. If you reject the Lord's command, <laughs> uh, do you love the Lord yeah. who commanded? So while in one sense we're, we're saying, no, it's not necessary for salvation, and yet another, depending on how that person is acting, it may be a very real insight into their heart condition that, they don't love Christ. Um, very, very true. Uh, for instance, you, when you came to better teaching, uh, you sought baptism. But I would not say you were not truly right. a Christian up to that point. Right. And I, 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 I didn't say, oh, Lord, I'm not going to follow what you want for me. You know, he, he truly had saved me. There's no question about that. What about, what about uh, water? The, the water is used in baptism. Is any <laughs> this is a crazy question? Is anything ever else used other than water? I, I don't know whether uh, Kevin, you've ever encountered anything. I, I've encountered uh, people substituting other elements for the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. more than I have water uh, for baptism. I think the question that uh, uh, we, we we could say is adding things to it such as oils and perfumes and these kinds of things uh, to the water, does that in any way invalidate the baptism? I would say no, but on the other hand, um, there is no example in Scripture of this being done in that way, and I prefer Mm. to just simply follow the plain teaching of the Scripture. There is a connection, though, between the sign that we are under and what it promises. We cannot substitute, for instance, uh, you could not substitute, in my opinion, apple juice and uh, cornflakes for the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. It breaks everything up. Yeah. And likewise, we have to use water. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, can you address this? Doesn't that come under the uh, general headline of the uh, so-called regulative principle? Yes, I think it does. And by that, you mean the principle... Uh, which states that all worship, and, and thus the way we administer the sacraments, has to be regulated, rooted in, grounded, governed by Holy Scripture. Mm-hmm. We're not free to improvise on these sorts of things. So when Jesus says, do this, he means do what he did. Yeah. And, and, and although you could quibble about the nature of the wine and things like that, whatever you want to say about the wine, it's not apple juice. Right? Oh. Um, so, um, you know, he used wine uh, and he used bread. And in the same way, baptism was always done with water. And so, yes, mm-hmm. this is a matter of obedience to the, to, the, 
to the regulative principle or just to the precepts and examples, as John said, of, of the Lord and the apostles in the, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, what about this? Um, years ago, historically, there was uh, this sect called the Jesus People, you know, in the 60s and all of that. Um, they, um, they sometimes would baptize people in swimming pools or the ocean or whatever. Um, what about the idea of, or the question of, of who is, uh, I guess, authorized to baptize? Well, they sometimes baptize themselves, by the way. They just went All down right. into the, I remember seeing a video, right video where one walked right down into a specific ocean and went under and came back and so forth. Uh, <laughs> the sacraments are given to the church and to those that are lawfully appointed to administer them. Uh, everything is to be done decently in order. The, the mm-hmm. sacraments are not just given to Christians. They are given to the church and must be exercised under church authority. And therefore, there are lawfully appointed ministers of word and sacrament who not only baptize but serve the Lord's Supper. And we must recognize that order and also that discipline that comes with it. These mm-hmm. people who baptize themselves or just go out and do something in a Bible study, they're not really in a church or under discipline. They don't have officers mm-hmm. that look over their soul and pray for them. They are submitting to no one, usually, but themselves. Now, they might say they're submitting to the Word, but when you find those passages in the New Testament, it's talking about submitting to those that have the rule over you in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of this is, you know, when Jesus institutes um, the sacraments, he places them in the hands of of the apostles. And from then, we know that the apostles ordained elders in every church. To faithful yep. men. Faithful right. men. They, mm-hmm. they handed these things on, and, and that both baptism and the supper were corporate rites, and thus were done under the authority and, and by ministers mm-hmm. lawfully ordained in the congregation. It's interesting how these sacraments, as we've been talking about them, continually tie back to the church, the church, the church, and um, us being a radio ministry and having some contact with some of the followers of Harold Camping, uh, we've mentioned that before and how that he's forsaken the church and his followers have forsaken the church. And at least he's somewhat consistent, I can say, because as he's forsaken the church, he's also thrown out baptism and thrown out the Lord's Supper. He also, in some ways, threw out the word. He was no longer willing <laughs> to be instructed. Uh, he was willing to read Scripture privately, according to his oh, own yeah. lights, without doing it in the body of believers. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, I see we have about two minutes left. Um, some wrap-up thoughts, and that way we can take our time on them. Uh, Kevin, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first. Anything you'd like to discuss in relation to baptism well, I think it's important to see that baptism is, in many ways, a sacrament that, uh, this goes back to our discussion about the time, that mm-hmm. is, uh, extends across the whole of the Christian life. Even though it's the sacrament of initiation, Paul continually calls the church back to their baptism. He calls the Roman church. He says, you cannot live in sin. You were baptized. He does this in Galatians 3. He says, as many as we're baptized into Christ, are one in Christ. He does this in 1 Corinthians 1, when they're divided. He says, were you baptized into Paul? So he takes the rite of baptism as 
as you just mentioned, Dan, as a, as a solemn admission into the visible church, mm-hmm. as an engagement to be the unified body of Christ and to walk as Christian disciples, and he appeals to that baptism. He doesn't just say, you made a decision for Jesus, therefore live this way. Mm-hmm. He regularly says, you were baptized, therefore live this way. And that lays the greatest stress on the importance of this right, even if we may not always grasp uh, you know, the mechanics of it or the, the metaphysics of it. So in a very real way, practical way, as I walk down the street every day of my life, it's appropriate for me to look back on my baptism. That sign is on you. It is. It's your identity. I, I, there's, a, there's a wonderful uh, a question that is raised in the historically is how may one improve their baptism what a question how can you improve it now in one sense you can't improve it if it is instituted by christ and what it signs and seals but it also places you under the obligation to live for christ Mm. and how do you improve it well you attend the baptism of others and remember uh, that you were baptized And Martin Luther once says, uh, what does it mean to live the Christian life? He said, to remember your baptism. (laughs) Every day, determine uh, to consider yourself dead to sin and to rise and to live for Christ. So that is the sign you live under. Mm. Well, praise God for that. Hey, I see we're out of time for this edition of A Plain Answer. Today we've had Dr. John Vance on the phone. We've had Kevin Sherritt. If you have any questions today... For these fine cast of characters, we would encourage you to email us. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Also, check out our website. That address is redeemerbroadcasting.org. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Yeah.